I forgot about that. <laughs> we don't normally have those. Very cool. Uh, I got here a, a skateboard. You ever have a really bad idea and correct it right at the last second? I was going to ride this in, and then I thought, that's a really bad idea because I'm going to fall. Um, but what we have here is, is something fun. Uh, but what makes this fun? The wheels. Right? Yeah, watching me fall on it. That would be fun. Uh, No, but the wheels. You know, I grew up skating some, but I was really bad. I had friends who were good. Um, But we loved anything with wheels. I remember we took uh, the the wheels off a skateboard and put them on a giant eight-foot board once, and me and a friend sat on it and went down a steep hill uh, in the middle of our town, and that was a horrible idea, too. Um, But everything with wheels is fun. I see some people here that I know like wheels. in fact, yesterday, Emilia Peterman was at our house, uh, and they uh, did a thing where they ho- rode a horse, they rode horses out, and then they rode a quad back. They went in a team and came back, and, and I said, was, which was more fun, the horse or the quad? She said, the quad, <laughs> which obviously, right, because of the wheels, because of the fun. But what happens to things that have wheels that move? Eventually, they stop moving. We have a couple pictures here of things that, that used to move, um, but... They stopped because of, well, whatever reason. Do we have those pictures? Anyone? Okay. Oh, there we go. So this one's not moving. Or there you go. You've probably seen that before. We had one of these in my grandparents' yard growing up or out in the forest. I loved walking out and just looking at it, uh, laying there in pieces. But rusted. This is more of a lawn ornament than something that moves anymore. Or the next one is the car without wheels. That, that's not going anywhere. You know, what good is that but maybe just to sit in and turn the AC on? Or the next couple. Oops. <laughs> Oops, yeah. They, they, uh... And then an airplane without wings or tail. Not moving. You probably are guessing where I'm going with this. Uh, we're starting a new series in Acts about the church. And as you saw from the title, Unstoppable. You know, that we are empowered for Jesus' mission. The church is supposed to be on the move. The church is like a good skateboard with with greased wheels, you know, or a car that goes really fast. But the church is supposed to move. But kind of like these things, over time, without maybe some maintenance, the church ends up as a lawn ornament. You know, or maybe the wheels have come off, and and we don't even realize that the wheels have come off, or or no wing, whatever it is, it stops moving. And we'll talk about some history in a minute, uh, but what is it about a movement? A movement requires moving. And so my question that I want to ask and answer a little bit today is, are you part of the movement of God? You know, God's plan, when Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, and we're going to be in the book of Acts, we'll go ahead and turn there, But he then sent his people, his church, on a movement to change the world, and they did. But the mission is supposed to be continuing and going on and on. And now, I'm excited about Acts, because I believe that we right now in the United States, the American church, possibly has more in common with the church in Acts than it does with the church of, say, the 1950s. Things have changed here. We're we're post-Christian, however you want to say it. You know, around here, we're 95% unchurched. You know, back in the day, everybody went to church. You know, it was just what you did, and so the church didn't have to maybe be as intentional. But now we're kind of going back to our roots of what is God's plan? You know, how did God put this in order for us to be on mission? You know, our mission statement here at Common Ground is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. That's just our way of stating the Great Commission. 
uh, of Go Make Disciples, that we are to be growing in Christ, we're to be worshiping the Lord with a joyful heart, and then we're going to go share that with others, that life is found only in Jesus' eternal life, but also that abundant life now, and that abundant life that Jesus promises, you know, isn't health, wealth, prosperity. It's not, it's not that. We might get that, but it's actually joy despite circumstances, peace in the midst of tribulation. The Bible's pretty clear there will be trouble, because as we're on mission, there is an enemy coming to stop us. Again, turn to Acts, if you would. And we're going to start in in, uh, just the first 11 verses, but Acts 1.1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I better stop there. Who's writing this? Luke is writing this. So Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. You'll you'll see him some in Acts. You'll see him other places. Luke was a doctor, a physician. Uh, Luke was a historian. In fact, he is well known for his historical accuracy. Uh, there have been those who have said, no, you know, we don't believe the Bible and we're going to prove it wrong. And they've tried to take Acts and you know, we're going to prove it wrong, these locations. And over and over people are saved when they try and do that because they realize this is historically accurate. That's a fun study to do. But I'm going to flip back to Luke real quick because the gospel of Luke, again, it acts as a sequel. And so he begins the gospel of Luke saying this, Inasmuch have many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So that's kind of a purpose statement for Luke, That then flips over to Acts, written to the same person, probably a real guy, but also intended for a a wider audience. But you see here, why did Luke write? So that we could have confidence, so that this reader, which would be now us, can have confidence in the things that we've been taught. Confidence that these things are true. You know, the Bible teaches absolute truths, not one way among many, not an idea, but, but true, that you could have confidence that these things are true. And so... He's going to continue in Acts. In Luke, he shared what Jesus did. In Acts, he shares what Jesus continued to do through his church. Look at verse 2. Until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This starts to set the stage a little bit. So uh, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later. We know that. Uh, And then he wandered the earth or that area for 40 days, appearing to his disciples. Uh, And you see at the end of the gospel, some of those appearings. Uh, Jesus ate with them. You know, Jesus uh, restored Peter at one point. Remember, Peter uh, denied him three times. And so Jesus takes him for a walk on the beach and corrects that, you know, heals their relationship. So Jesus spent 40 days Talking about the kingdom. Very interesting. You know, again, that's why we have kingdom in our mission statement. Because a lot of times we get focused on just the church or or our church when really it's about the kingdom. You know, church as in big C and God's plan is to expand his kingdom, which in the Old Testament, his kingdom was through Israel. 
you know, and others could join Israel. They could become Jews and worship the one true God, Yahweh. And then Jesus came and changed the ballgame a little bit, completed uh, the Mosaic covenant, and now gave us a new covenant that we see in his blood where that mission continues, but also the mission to grow his kingdom. He's about his kingdom. Verse 4, he gives them an, an instruction. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> you know, this is here, he gives them the instruction, stay, wait. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to come on them with power. It's going to be really awesome, so you have to be here for that one. But he gives them this instruction, wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And so later, when when the Holy Spirit comes on them at Pentecost with power. They're doing what God asked them to do, what Jesus instructed them to do. They're waiting. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a really good question. Because what had he been talking about for 40 days? The kingdom. When Jesus started his, his uh, mission, when, his ministry, when he was about 30 years old, he began, Mark 1.15, saying this, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That was Jesus' first message was about the kingdom. And what he was saying is the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning the king is here. Jesus is the king. He is the king promised of the line of David. So the Israelite king who would rule forever was going to be in the line of David. That is Jesus. So that's what he meant when the kingdom of God is upon you. The king is here. You know, Jesus taught about the kingdom, and then he shared his kingdom expansion plan. Because here they say, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom? And by the way, that time is coming. We're still waiting for that. And Jesus doesn't answer their questions. So later, we'll see in Thessalonians and Revelation, other places, some of these signs to look for the, the end of when Jesus returns. And, and I know right now, with everything going on now, people are saying, it's the end, he's going to come back. Um, just so you know, that's happened for generation after generation. And it might, I mean, it is the end. Jesus could come back any minute. But here, he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say exactly when. He says in verse 7, he said to them, None of your business. That's my translation. It says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So you don't know when it's going to happen. And by the way, this is huge for us. When's it going to happen? That's none of your business. It's going to be any minute, so be ready. But until then, here's his expansion plan. Here's his plan for the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan is to empower his people to witness and then send them out through the world beginning at home. This is the outline of the whole book of Acts. And as you follow Acts, you'll see that. We'll see through the first uh, 12 chapters follow Peter and the other disciples in Jerusalem. You know, and some have argued, you know, you look, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, and the, the Jews are just kind of still staying there. The disciples are staying in Jerusalem until finally God says, all right, fine, we're going to cause some problem, make you go, make you get out of there. Uh, and then we see Paul. Uh, Philip will see go to Samaria, 
And then Paul will pick it up a little bit later. Paul will be a, a new apostle. Jesus will appear to him and we'll see him take this, the, the word to the ends of the known earth then. He goes all around the Roman Empire. And it ends there. Paul is in Rome and the book just kind of just stops. It's kind of a to be continued. Because the church is to be on mission even now. It's to continue on mission until he returns. Look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here, this, this kingdom expansion plan, you know, go be a witness. I'm going to empower you to be a witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, until I come back. And then he, he's taken up. You know, and I love the picture there. I've heard it described really well of, of the disciples just kind of standing there watching. You know, is he going to come back right now? You know, what's going on until the angels appear and like, hey guys, snap out of it. Go do what he told you. And they do. They go to Jerusalem and then they wait. But here's what's important. These disciples wanted the kingdom now. They were ready for it. They said, is it time now that you're going to set up the kingdom? And they were thinking political. Because again, they were under the control of Rome. And the, the kingdom of Israel promised in the Old Testament that would kind of come back into to power, that's what they were looking forward to, which would be political. It would be a physical kingdom, and that is coming, by the way. Jesus is going to rule perfectly for eternity. We are going to have bodies, new heaven and new earth. That's a fun study, just to look at what is eternity going to be like. But it will be a kingdom, there will be a king, and it will be Jesus. But here, until he comes back, it's a spiritual movement. The movement of Jesus' kingdom now is a spiritual movement through the church to save souls and reconcile people back to God through Jesus and the cross. That's what we're about now. We're looking forward to the kingdom just like they were. We're looking forward to it coming perfectly, but the kingdom is now. Peter will write about it. Paul will write about it. That the kingdom is now. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness, Paul writes in Colossians. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I, I mean, so that's now. We're in his kingdom and he's our king now, but it's in a spiritual sense. It's not political. You know, there, there have been Christian governments through, through the world, through history, but they never work out real well. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really about using Jesus for, for gaining territory or whatever that is. But here, again, we see this. Now, notice one other thing. Verse, going to go back to verse 8, because that's where we're camping. Where's the power? Who's the power? He says, go and wait. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the power for the mission. That's a big deal, and we're going to see that throughout Acts. That hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit is the power. And, and my prayer is that we are a spirit-filled church. Now, that can get a little bit scary at times. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of, okay, what's that mean, spirit-filled? Does it mean all these signs and wonders and all this stuff? Well, we're going to talk about that some moving forward. Um, but actually, you only see signs and wonders and those things a few times throughout all of history. You see them with Moses, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and the disciples. Does God still do signs and miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely. But 
if we're trying to live on that, and we're going to see this a little bit later, living on that isn't where life comes from. Uh, in fact, faith comes not by seeing, but by hearing and hearing the word. So we're going to see, though, that the church is unstoppable because God empowers us for Jesus' mission. Now, Acts is the story of the church. And here, uh, Acts 1.8 is the outline of God's plan for his church. And so we need to talk about the church just real quick. Uh, that word church can be confusing because the word church often refers to a building. In fact, when we started Common Ground, when we got into a building for the first time, uh, it used to be the manger bookstore. And in my mind, I'm like, we're just going to keep calling it the manger. Yeah, we're common ground, but we're going to say we're going to go to them. And that was a dumb, another dumb idea that I had. <laughs> I got a lot of those. And, and it, it didn't really work, but, but in my, my intention, I think, was right. That the church isn't a place. The church is a people. It, and the church isn't just our people at common ground. Or it's not just a couple. The, guy, the, the kingdom is the church, the global church, capital C. You know, we are part of a, a giant church. And Acts is the, the, the story of that church starting. And so that word church, our English word actually comes from, we got it from the German, kirk, which means building. It really has the connotation, always has a building of place. But did you know our first, here's a test, you know, uh, if you've gone to seminary, don't answer, but when did we first get the Bible in English translated straight from Greek? Who wrote that? It was William Tyndale. And he was the first one to take the Greek which is what the Bible was originally written in, and translate from the Greek into English. And when he got to this word church, he translated it congregation. Because the word in Greek is actually, actually ekklesia, if you've heard that. Ek, kaleo, it's two words. It means uh, out from and to call. And it means a group of people called out you know, God chooses, pulls us out for a mission to go together. That's what the word means. And so when it comes to mean a building, we totally lose what it actually meant. And so congregation was a good way to translate that. A group of people called out for a purpose, not a group of people called out to sit around in a building and talk about Jesus. That's part of it, and that's great. Um, but actually called out to do something. To worship. That's why for us, worship here is a big deal. Singing uh, is part of worship, but we worship. We're worshiping people that then go and spread this life to others. You know, William Tyndale was actually burned at the stake by the Catholic Church for translating and for his, his staunch hold that everybody should have access to the word. Now, here's the thing. As you look at the church through history, it has a tendency to wander. It has a tendency to go off. And for many years there, the church as a whole went, went off and was about power. They didn't want people to have the word because if only a few people have the word, they have the power and the control. But here's the thing. God always keeps a remnant for himself. He always does. Throughout all those years, there were always those faithful to him. And so here, again, the, when revival happens in the 15th, uh, 16th century, when you see the Reformation, Tyndale was part of that Reformation of God doing some restoring. But here's the thing, we like to look back and go, during the Reformation, things got fixed. It's all about faith, it's all about the word. But here's what's happened since then. It keeps happening. <laughs> I mean, the church keeps you know, getting stuck or, or taking the wheels off. We need this constant uh, kind of renewal. And that's what I'm looking forward to in the book of Acts, is seeing uh, that the church is God's people on mission, not a location or merely an institution. 
And here's why I think we as an American church are in a unique spot very similar to this early church. Right now, we're limited to 50 people. We're having to wear these masks. Things are just plain weird. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't ever say you have the right to go meet as 200 people. As for, it doesn't. It says don't forsake the gathering. But the church in Acts, you know what it was? It was a house church movement. They were house churches. They started out at, because it was in Jerusalem and they were, they were Jews. The, the first Christians were Jews. They continued to go to the synagogue. They continued to go to the temple. We'll see that until they realized, no, the Mosaic law is, is over. The new covenant has replaced that one. And they started being kicked out of the synagogues. No, you're, you're really not part of us anymore. You're this weird thing, this weird new thing. And so they moved into homes. You know, you'll see Lydia, who is a, a woman who has a church in her home. Philemon is a man who has a church in his home. They were house church movements. They, they weren't giant mega churches, you know, all over house church movements. Now, there's nothing wrong with mega church, in my opinion. If, it, if it's done right, we're to grow, we're to expand. But here, and you'll see, God had a plan. And it was to start at home and to move out. And that's what happened. Now, for us, I think that's pretty relevant still. To begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We start here. We live on mission here. And then we go all the way to Dayton. All the way to the Rancho. Some of you drive all the way from the Ranchos. And then to Vegas. And then to California. My goodness, they need the gospel. <laughs> but I mean, and continuing out, we want to be part of that. We start here. Again, one of our values at Common Ground is sending capacity, not seating capacity. And what we mean is we want you to get the bug of Jesus so much, you're like, I just got to go. Meaning you're going to your family, you're going to your and But then some of us need to catch the bug and go, I got to go plant a church in my town. Or I got to go be part of a mission to Africa. Whatever it is, you get the bug to just go. And that's what you'll see in Acts. People catching the bug. Jesus changing lives and then releasing them with his power to make a difference in the world. Again, the church is God's people on mission, not a location or merely an institution. Now, a little bit of history. If you know much of uh, you know, Rome and, and the church, how it started, it was a house church movement. It was a fringe movement. It was persecuted at times uh, very severely. But then Constantine, who was a Roman emperor, converted to Christianity. He had, he had a vision, maybe, maybe not. Uh, some will argue whether his conversion was real or not, but all of a sudden Christianity became an okay religion. In fact, it became the popular one. And after that, they started building great cathedrals. If you've ever been to Europe and seen these cathedrals, they're awesome. They're amazing, and they had a purpose. And the purpose was that you would walk in and look up. You know, they would do the paintings on the ceiling, all these things, everything was up so that you would look up to the majesty of God. Good reason, good purpose. The problem was then the church really started moving in and became about the place rather than about a people on mission. There was some research done uh, a couple years ago and it was done by Ed Stetzer and Lifeway. And I thought this was pretty helpful. And they raked American churches, they studied 350,000 American churches and ranked them from one to five. You know, uh, number one is, is a church in decline. Number two was a church just kind of plateaued, not growing, just, just kind of, and they found that 80% of American churches are in those two groups, 80%. And then you have level three that they would say, uh, level three is a church that's growing by addition. You know, church that it's, it's maybe doing a good job and, and, it's, and it's growing. And uh, what did they say? 16%. 
16% of American churches of those 350,000 were, were growing. But then they said, but how many churches are reproducing? And so a level four church would be a reproducing church, a church that's planted a church. They said 4% of American churches were reproducing, and 2% of those did it on purpose. The other 2% was church splits. So, so 2% doing it on purpose. And then they said, how many churches are multiplying? Meaning they really have a mission to, to, to plant, to send, to go and keep going. And they said they couldn't find any. I think they didn't look hard enough because I know of some. But that's what we want to be. A, a church that's reproducing. A church that's going. Again, that we're catching the bug. Again, because that's what we see in Acts. And that's what we see as God's mission to empower us to go and to multiply. Because we are a movement. So this is kind of fun. You know, you, you read Acts, you see, and it ends with to be continued. But then we know that, the, you know, the pilgrims came over, and they came, and they started some, some churches. But then some of our history, in 1926, First Southern Baptist Church was planted in Tucson, Arizona. First Baptist in Tucson planted Columbia Street Baptist. They planted Manor Baptist in 1955. The Green Valley Baptist was planted from Manor Baptist in 1977, who planted Common Ground Arizona in 2006, who planted Common Ground Las Vegas, who planted Common Ground here. So, I mean, so there's just a little bit of the history. That's how it works, you know, and that's why I really like this little buffer video. Pay attention next week. But it starts, and, they, and then it goes, and then it comes to Nevada on the screen there. It hits Nevada, and then right after it, you see it spread out because, again, that's God's mission. And so my question is, are you part of the movement of God? And again, the movement starts in our hearts. It starts here. Are you part of that movement? And are you ready to say yes? Uh, we have group signups today. That's one of the ways to start, uh, you know, to get involved in community, authentic community around the word is where lives change. To join a serve team, to be part of what God is doing. And now we're going to continue to worship. We're going to take communion. So, you know, worship team, you can come on up. But we're going to take communion. And here's why I'm so glad we're doing communion today. Because this mission that God has, this movement of his church, isn't just for the sake of movement. It's not just for the sake of, of hey, we're getting bigger or we're going. In fact, the church has made great mistakes in capitulating to culture to keep moving. Meaning, the culture's going this way. Church, you better change. Well, guess what? The Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. We don't have to change. We need to continue to worship, to glorify him. And we are a movement of worshiping Christians. We're not called just to be saved. We're called to worship. And we get to worship. And part of that worship is communion. Now, communion is our time to remember what Jesus did on the cross until he comes back again. Paul wrote it this way. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. We do this every two weeks. We do it frequently on purpose because our foundation, our root is Jesus. Our foundation is what he did on the cross and we always go back to that. And now is a time for us to, 
to meditate a little bit, to think about God's word, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us if there's any, anything off, anything we need to change, maybe a relationship we need to repair. And then we come and we take the Lord's Supper. Come up, uh, we have them over here and over here. Uh, we get up, we move, because I, I think movement is a good thing in worship, you know, to get up. Uh, we're doing it COVID style. So it's all, you know, self-contained. So you can grab it, come back to your seat. You can pray together as a family. You can grab somebody else and pray whatever you want to do. But Paul continues to write. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So examine yourself. And if you're here and you're not a believer that's okay, don't, don't take it today. But if today is the day for you to surrender to Jesus as Lord, I'll be in the back, come pray with me. Let's talk and then come take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to be part of a, an exciting movement. That's your movement. We pray that we would be submitted to you and that we would see great things happen. God, with, with COVID, all the things going right now, people need you and the church is still the church. You still empower us. You still have the mission for us. And our foundation is you, Jesus, what you did on the cross. And so now we remember what you did. We thank you for life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.